0: Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We're in this series, I've Got Questions, talking about things that get us stuck in our faith. If you find yourself in a place where things just aren't moving for you the way you want them to, perhaps you're stuck. And so we're doing this series that will hopefully address some of those things. We're going to talk about something today that maybe has hung you up a little bit. There is a question that I have fielded throughout my time in ministry and understand I've been doing ministry now in one form or another for over 40 years of my life. Um, I I was doing ministry when I was a kid in in my home church. Uh, They had me leading a a little uh, junior youth group when I was still in high school. So um, I've been doing something, teaching somebody, trying to help somebody know who Jesus was really pretty much from the time I gave my life to Christ and and you know I went off to Bible college I did internships at different churches I had a ministry before I came to Cross Lane and I've been in this particular place for quite some time now and so I have had the opportunity to have literally thousands of conversations about Jesus it is my favorite thing to do I love to talk about Jesus and you know sometimes it happens after church or before church Um, sometimes somebody walks in to, you know, I don't know, bring their offering because they're going to be gone and they're going to be on vacation or something like that. I'll see them in the lobby and we'll talk about Jesus. And I've had people make appointments to come talk to me about Jesus. Text messages, phone calls, just... and, And in various states of faith, atheists, agnostics, you know, lifelong believers deeply committed to Jesus... I've had lots of conversations, and and in the course of those conversations, there is one question, I get asked a lot of questions, Um, a lot of those questions I don't have answers to, which by the way, it's okay to look at somebody and say, I don't know, because I do that a lot, there's a lot of things that I don't know, but one of the questions that I've gotten, I would say that this ranks in the top five, of whenever we're talking about, you know, I'm talking to somebody that's Maybe not a Christian. Sometimes even the Christians will ask this, but if they're not a Christian they're thinking about it They're kind of kicking the tires on Jesus I'll get asked this question I would put it in the top five questions that get asked of me by people who are not quite there yet And the question is this the question is Brett. Do you really believe that Jesus is the only way to God? I? mean Really you believe that now? That's a great question That is a great question. Have you ever struggled with that question? I have. I've struggled with it. Man, Brett, that just seems so narrow. Do you really believe Jesus is the only way? Today, I want to meet that question head on because I think that there are quite a few people who can get stuck in their faith because that question kind of hangs them up a little bit we're going to look at several passages today we're going to start and be in for the most part john chapter 14 if you have your bible and you want to follow along john chapter 14 we'll start in verse one jesus is at the tail end of his life he's at the very tail end of ministry Uh, actually this is the last night of his life and he tells the disciples that he is going to be arrested He's going to die. They they are not putting it together. They're not figuring that out. And then he says this in John chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I'm, or would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Now, let me stop right there. This is Jesus making a promise, okay? And he understands that some people are skeptical about that promise. And he's kind of defending his word, you know, in his honor, like, you know, I, you think I'm lying to you? Would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you if it were not true? Verse three, and if I go and prepare a place for you, here comes a promise, I will come back and take you to be with me That you also may be where I am. Now, if you've committed yourself to follow Jesus, I hope you're willing to take Jesus at His word and believe His promises. And I hope when you read that, you come away and you go, that's solid gold right there. I don't doubt that for a minute. Jesus said it. And if Jesus said it, it's going to happen. Now, I think you probably understand, as do I, that as Jesus is making these statements, what he's talking about is heaven. And basically, he's saying, I want everybody on the earth to come join me and be with me in heaven someday. But the disciples are not getting this. They don't understand. They're not getting it at all. And they have no idea what Jesus is talking about. Then Jesus says something that really confuses them. Verse 4, you know the way to the place Where I'm going and they're thinking Jesus. What are you talking about? We don't know the way how how in the world do we know the way? We don't know where you're going. How in the world would we know how to get to where you're going see they thought that Jesus Was still going to be an earthly king? They're expecting uh, You know they still haven't figured out that that God has sent Jesus to be a forgiver to be a reconciler To be the one who is the offering on the cross the perfect lamb the sacrificial Lamb they 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 have not put that together. They think that Jesus has been sent by God to be their revolutionary leader To help overthrow a a an an unjust government And he's gonna you know at some point he's gonna you know It's kind of like hockey players when they throw their gloves off that Jesus is gonna do that like okay. It's go time Let's make it happen. So when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and these Soldiers show up and it's interesting that that several a large group of soldiers show up. Why is that because they were expecting a fight? They expected this guy to fight back and Jesus doesn't fight back Peter hasn't put it together yet. That's why Peter when he sees that Jesus is about to be arrested He draws his knife and he cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers servants Because he's thinking oh it's on it's go time. This is when this whole thing kicks in. We've been waiting on this night forever, and it's finally here. Put up your dukes. Let's fight. They did not understand it. Now, that should encourage you on some level, because these guys had spent three years with Jesus. They still haven't figured it out. They were with him every single day. They are still confused. They still have questions. Do you feel that way Sometimes. It's okay if you once in a while come to a place where you go, man, that just really confuses me. Man, I, I you know, I, I just, I don't understand. You know, you read something in Scripture, and you're like, I don't, I don't get that. That, that, that. That's not making, I don't understand what he's trying to say, or I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. It's okay for you to, from time to time, run into something and you go, man, I, I don't know. One of the disciples finally raises his hand and says Jesus we have no idea what you're talking about. Now that man was Thomas. We call him doubting Thomas today because he had all so, all sorts of questions and doubts and but God love him because to me Thomas is just real. All right? I I highly value real. I don't like heirs. I don't like people acting one way here and another way there. If you're messed up, just say you're messed up, okay? Just own it. If you don't know, just say you don't know. If you're confused, say you're confused. And God loved Thomas. He's just real. He had all kinds of doubts, all kinds of questions. And in the next verse, this is what Thomas says, verse 5. Lord, (laughs) we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And I think the other disciples were like, thank God for Thomas. Because he's willing to say all this stuff that we're afraid to say. And what Jesus says next, you have to just let the weight of it hit you. It, it just—it it needs to penetrate your heart and your soul. John fourteen six, these very famous words. You may have this memorized. I've memorized this a long, long time ago. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now can we just all admit that that is a very exclusive claim All right, that is that is absolute language I'm the only way Jesus does not say I am a way he doesn't say I'm one of the ways no I am the way Paul Peter will come along later in Acts chapter 4 and he's gonna say this salvation is found in no one else For there is no other name. I have highlighted those two phrases. No one else, no other name. Under heaven, given to mankind by which we must be saved. So there's no other way. Hear it from the mouth of Jesus. Don't hear it from me. I've had people yell at me, like, Brett, you're so narrow. Whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. That's from his mouth. Those are his teachings. I'm just telling you. What Jesus said now for a lot of us. We do not doubt that Jesus existed here on earth We don't doubt that Jesus had some good moral teachings and some good things to say, but many people struggle With Jesus being the only way Many people hear people talk like that and they get swayed by what other people say that great theologian Oprah Winfrey Has her own views on God and she says that God is the hub of a wheel and there are many spokes coming off that hub and those are the many ways that you can get to God. Jesus said that is absolutely not true. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You have a choice to make. Are you going to listen to an entertainer or are you going to listen to the Son of God who came and gave himself on a cross and died for you and listen to what he says when he says, no, I'm it. I'm the only game in town. It only happens through me. That's the problem that a lot of us are struggling with. We live in a world today that, is, uh, that highly values pluralistic thinking. We live in a world today that claims they, they value tolerance. I, I hear a lot of talk about tolerance. I don't see a lot of tolerance. I'd like to see, I'd like to see as much, I'd like to see that match what I hear. Pluralistic thinking and tolerance. When people hear that Jesus, when they hear Jesus say something like, I'm the only way, here's what a lot of people think. They think, boy, that seems exclusive. They think that sounds incredibly intolerant, and that seems unfair. So I want to take these and I want to meet them each head on this morning, and I want us to think deeply about each one of them. Let's start with the first one. Jesus' claim of being the only way seems exclusive. J. Herbert Kane was right on it when he said, it is safe to say the most offensive aspect of 20th century Christianity is its exclusiveness. I've had a lot of people tell me that. Brett, that just seems really narrow. If you've ever thought that, I want to challenge you, your thinking today, and say maybe you've been misinformed on this idea of the exclusivity of Christianity. If you're open-minded, the truth is Christianity is the least complicated and most inclusive of any religion. Christianity is the least complicated and most inclusive of any religion, period. Now, if you know me well, you know that I never refer to Christianity as a religion. I don't like doing that, and if I ever do do that, I will protest like I am right now. But I'm using it, I'm using the word religion because we're going to lay it side by side with some of the other ones this morning to do a little compare and contrast. And so I want to take a look at some of the other major religions, and when you take a look at some of the other major religions, what you find, and I don't really care which one you pick, if it's Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, uh, Mormonism, Atheism, Agnosticism, Taoism, I mean, take your pick. Every single one of those religions makes exclusive faith claims. Every single one. Let's just start with Islam. The first pillar of Islam, there is one God, Allah, and his prophet, Muhammad. And if you don't agree with that, you're wrong, according to them. That's exclusive. Even atheism makes exclusive claims about God. Atheism claims there is no God. That is an exclusive claim. I would also add that is a faith claim. You can't prove that. You can't prove it, that's a faith claim. An atheist lives by faith every much, every bit as much as a a Christian or a Hindu or a Buddhist lives by their faith. Even agnosticism makes exclusive claims. They say no one can know. Well, how do you you know that's pretty exclusive? It's also a faith claim. Now you're rational, smart people. Cross Lane has got some, you're sharp, I think. You know that there cannot be multiple exclusive truth claims that all contradict each other and all of them be true. You, you know that. You, you, can't, you can't, they can't all be right. It's like the little girl who went to her mom and she said, Mommy, where did I come from? Which is always a scary question, right? So she said, well, honey, God created Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve had babies and through time, you know, people had babies and then your daddy and I had babies and that's where you came from. She said, okay. So then she went to her dad the following day. She still had some questions. Hey, daddy, where did I come from? And daddy said, well, there was this big bang and, you know, that created this evolutionary process and out of that we got apes and monkeys and so they eventually, we, they turned into humans, and that's where you came from, from the apes and monkeys. Well, now she's really confused. She goes back to her mother, she's a little perturbed, and she says, Mom, I don't know what to make of this because you tell me that I'm, you know, God made me and, and that through Adam and Eve, and Daddy tells me that there was this big bang and that I came from monkeys and apes. And she said, oh honey, he's just explaining to you his side of the family, that's all that is. you can't have multiple exclusive truth claims you can't so you have to determine what is true and what you decide on this topic is one of the most important decisions you will ever make in your life because your eternity hangs in the balance on this question there may be nothing more important in your life than you deciding what is true on this particular subject. There cannot be multiple truth claims in this regard. Now, I'm no mathematician. If you know me well, you know that I don't like math. I, don't, <laughs> I, I avoid math. Um, I've never been good at math. My mom saved all my report cards, and she handed all those to me about two months ago. And I started looking through there, and I was like, no, it's not in your imagination. You really did. We're not very good at math. So I've always tried to avoid it when I can. I went to Johnson Bible College and, and um, took Greek class just to get out Now that, That's how dedicated to getting away from math I was. I went to a Greek class four times a week at 7 a.m. There's no amount of coffee, there's nothing that, that help makes that easier, okay? I, I'm like the guy, we were at a Leadership Summit this week, I heard a guy, make a reference to this and I thought you know that's me to a T the closest I got to math in in Bible College was the book of Numbers that's as close as I got but let's do some math 4400 divided by 88 does anybody know what that is off the top of their head I would never be able to tell you this off the top of my head the number is 50 88 goes into forty-four hundred fifty times um, Somebody might come up to me and say, no, Brett, the number is 48. Somebody else might come up and say, no, Brett, the number is 52. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a confrontational kind of person. I don't like confrontation. Um, I'm a nine on the Enneagram. When it comes to temperament, I am what they call a phlegmatic. I, 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 I almost run from conflict. I can't stand it, to my detriment sometimes. It, it hurts me and it hurts the people around me sometimes because I won't confront like I should, but um, if you were to come to me and say 88 into, into 4,400 is 48, I would argue with you. I, we'd, we'd have a conflict. If you said, bread it's 52. No, it's not. We're going to do the math on this. I'm going to show you there's only one answer. That answer is 50. So what, you know, the teacher, you remember the teacher used to say, show me your work. You remember that? You do long division. And have you seen how they do math now? It's crazy. They do it way different. But I used to have to show my work. Hated it. Hated it. Show me your work. Now here's the thing. Someone can be wrong about their answer to the question, but you can look at their work and you can see kind of where they went sideways. And, and what, what else you can see in the work is you can see where some get a little closer to the right answer than others. They may not get the right answer, but you can kind of see where, oh, they almost had it. They, you know, they didn't do that or the other. And I say that to say this. Christianity does not claim that everything in, other, in every other world religion is wrong. We don't do that. There are certain moral teachings in the other world religions that, that we have in common. There are things, you know, about how we treat each other and how, you know, benevolence and, and, and you know, an honor of God and, and things like that. There are lots of places where you could look at other world religions and go, well, you know, we kind of have that similar tenet in our particular faith heritage. What Christians claim, what Christ claims, is that there is one way to be reconciled to God and that is through the person of Jesus and him alone he is that exclusive but the other the the offer is is most inclusive of any other world religion that you can encounter you go study any other world religion for yourself I say this to you a lot because it's true and I I show you I do this in one form or another a lot in sermons Because it's really important that you see it, but you you go look at any other world religion, and what you will find is that that world religion is defined by what you do. It's all about what you do. You have to do something to earn your way into God's good graces. Study it. Every other religion, Mormonism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism... You have to do things, and you just hope and pray that you've done enough good things at the end of it that the scales weigh out, and God says, okay, you're you're in. Problem is, how would you ever know? How would you ever know if you were good enough? Andy Stanley wrote a little tiny book called How Good is Good Enough. It's a great little book, and that's really the question, because they all differ in what they tell you that you have to do to get to God. So how do you know? Can you imagine that this is some kind of competition, you know, you're going through life and it's like this competition and you gotta be good enough or you're not gonna get into heaven and so, you know, you, you, you're, it's, it's like a scale thing and comes up to the last day of your life and you're like 51-49, you're in, right? 51-49, I think I'm in, I think I got it. And then you and your wife have a fight that day. Last day of your life. And you say some things and do some things and the scale tips the other direction. Like, uh uh-oh, you're out. I mean, think about how crazy that is. None of us are perfect. How can any of us expect that we could be reconciled to God by how good we are? That just doesn't, it it, it just, you can't under that system reconcile yourself to God. It's like being a salesman and your your, your boss comes in and he says, hey, I'm going to fire you unless you meet your sales quota for this year and you go, okay, what's my quota? And he says, I'm not telling you. Now get out there. (laughs) What? Would you ever have a good night's sleep? Would you ever have any peace? No, you would have no peace. I can't tell you how many people in my lifetime I have talked to about God, and they're losing sleep, and they don't have peace because they're petrified they're not going to heaven. I, haven't, I just feel like I'm just not good enough, I just feel like I haven't done enough. and I keep you know, it's just like, I keep telling you it's not about that. It's not about that. When it comes to God, there are an awful lot of people that're trying to earn their way into God's good graces, and that's not how it works. Christianity is a complete 180 to other world religions. It is completely different. The foundation of everything Christianity teaches is in one word, and that word is, you add two letters to to do, N and E. Changes everything. You don't do enough to get close to God. God has already done it for you, and he's asking you to accept what he's done. God has already paid the price for you to be connected to him, and it is free for you. It's available to anybody. If you're a Christian have been for a while you will know this next verse that I'm going to read to you it's one of my favorites I've got it memorized I think most of it I've got memorized you've probably heard this many times in your life Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves this is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast No one can say, hey, look what I did. Look how good I am. I got myself into heaven. None of us are that good. We are completely reliant on the grace, the mercy, and the forgiveness of God. A God who gave his son in your place and mine so that we could be reconciled back to him. The gift is offered to everyone. You don't have to do anything but receive the gift. Now, how inclusive is that? Let's imagine two country clubs are going to open in our area. <laughs> the first country club, you know, they build their building, they set up, they put their sign on the front yard. This is what's required for you to be in our country club. And you go look down the list of all the things on that, on that sign, and you're like, good Lord, I'm never going to be able to get into that club. It'll take me years to qualify all that stuff and be able to get into that club. The other club, on the, on the other hand, They put their sign out in the front yard, and you go look at that, and it says this. It says, everybody is welcome, black, white, sinner, saint, rich, poor, fat, skinny, dog lovers, even cat people. We even let cat people join. That sound inclusive to you? Which one sounds more exclusive? Christianity says it's done. It's been done for you. You don't don't have to do anything. It's all been taken care of. Christianity's inclusivity is unmatched because its offer of salvation is to anyone, anywhere, at any time, free of charge, which means you don't do anything to get it. You just simply accept what someone has. You accept someone. You accept the free gift of forgiveness that Jesus purchased for you with his own blood on the cross that's all it takes it's simple it's easy it's offered to everyone god would that no one would be left out of that transaction and when you receive the gift of the holy spirit it comes into your life and it empowers you to live the kind of life that god is calling you to live it isn't exclusive it's incredibly inclusive So let's take a look at the second issue many people have with Christianity. It just seems intolerant. Jesus is the only way seems intolerant. And we live in a culture of tolerance, or so they tell me. Not really seeing it, but that's what they tell me. Where my parents live, you can't get to my mom and dad's house. There's only one way to do it. They live in a place, when I grew up, and I grew up in a neighborhood where you could go in the back way, you could come into into my house from two different sides, you know, there was a driveway, you could get there either way. Not my mom and dad's house now. If you're going to get to their place, there's only one way you can go. Now, if you wanted to go see my parents and I was going to give you directions, it would be incredibly insensitive and unloving for me to not tell you there's only one way to get there. If you go trying to do it take a back way and you go think you can make a shortcut I'm telling you there is no shortcut so if you think oh I'm gonna take that road because it's heading in that direction I think I can get no there's only one way to get there it would not be very loving of me to not tell you there's only one way and then to tell you specifically what that way is so that you're not driving all over the place and so that you can get to the destination. Because if I don't tell you that, you're never going to get there. God wants you home. You may be here today, and you've been lost for so long, and God is telling you the way to come home. And Him telling you is not intolerant. It's the most kind and loving thing He could ever do to tell you exactly what's been done for you you know what, maybe it's time when it comes to God that you reorient some of your thinking when it comes to this idea. Instead of questioning the idea that there's only one way to God, we should be so thankful that God provided a way. I say this all the time because it's true. At the very core of Christianity, at the very core, the very beginning of Christianity, lies this idea of thanksgiving and, and gratitude. I believe it's at the very core of Christianity if you are not living your life as a thankful person you don't get Christianity you don't get Jesus when you approach Jesus with a thankful heart God I'm just so thankful that you made a way for me when I could not make a way for myself that's where Christianity that's where faith that's where it all starts God sent his son Jesus to bridge the gap for us, that if we would trust in Christ, we would be forgiven of all of our sins. And Jesus went to the cross and he paid the price. God gave his own son the most loving act in all of human history. His own son for all of us who don't deserve it. What kind of love is that? So I tell you this, Jesus being the only way to God is only intolerant if it's not true. And if it is true, it's the most loving, kind thing that God has ever done to tell you the truth, the way to get there. You parents, imagine that your child is sick, very sick. Heart problem, doctor comes and says, "Hey." We've we've you know done some diagnostic testing. We've figured out um, your son or daughter has this thing going on with their heart. There's only one thing that we can do, and it is a, it requires a surgery. And you're like, uh, one way? I mean, come on. There's not other ways we can fix this. We can't put some vapor rub on her chest. No, we we the only way this is going to get fixed is we go in and we do surgery. Well, you know, could we do some vitamin C? No. The only way this gets fixed is we go in and we do surgery. It wouldn't, wouldn't it sound strange for you to go, how intolerant are you? I mean, that's so intolerant. That's the only way this can be done? You've got to do a surgery? That's not what you would say. Him telling you how to get your son or daughter fixed is the, the kindest thing he can do. That's the best thing he can do for you. He's prescribing a way to have you healed. God loves you so much that he wants to heal your sin condition. Here's what sin does. Sin drives a wedge between you and God. And God said, I didn't put the wedge there. You did that. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to send Jesus. Jesus will die for you. And he prescribed a way for healing. And that is through faith in Christ and the forgiveness that he offers and only through him. That is not intolerant. That is incredibly loving. Let's talk about the third thing real quick. Jesus claimed to be the only way. You say, Brett, that just seems unfair. This may be the one that maybe gives us the most trouble because we think, but what about all those people that have never heard? You ever heard that? What about the people who've never heard about Jesus. Isn't that unfair? To answer this, I would just tell you we got to you got to understand three things about God. The first thing is this, God is good. He is always good. The second thing is he is loving. He loves every person on the planet. And I know I talk about this a lot, but it made a huge impact on my life. That day, my mother said, "Brett, you see all these other cars, all these other people in these cars? God loves every single one of them." As much as he loves you he does not love you more than them and it's easy for Christians to come to church and think well he loves us more than those pagans that didn't come to church and it would be easy for preachers to go well he loves me because I preach for him no he doesn't love me any more than he loves you he doesn't love you any more than the people that didn't come to church this morning he loves all of us the same he he craves our worship and our love and our our our, for us to return that to him the third thing is this he will open himself up to be known to every person on the planet let's listen to this from second peter chapter three the lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness instead he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance we spent quite a bit of time in the last series we were in Um, what was the name trying to think of the name of the series i can't remember Road dogs. Road dogs. We, we spent some time in Acts, and we saw all the different churches that they went to. And in Acts 17, we come up on Athens, and Paul is in Athens, and he's talking to these people, and they've got this statue to an unknown God, and Paul's trying to address that with them. And then he says this. If you remember this from Acts 17, verse 27. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Do you remember playing hide-and-seek when you were little? When I was growing up in youth group, our youth pastor Doug, he took a big chance, man. Big chance. We had a fairly large church. He, We would have these lock-ins. He would turn all the lights out in the building and turn us loose to play hide-and-seek in the dark of a church building. Kids running around in the dark. I mean, I've seen bopped heads and Missing and uh, because they were running. We had a ball though. You ever played hide and seek and and, and you've got your great hiding spot, and the person that's looking for you goes right past you? You could almost reach out and touch them, and you're like, (laughs) they don't know I'm here. That's kind of what I'm talking about. Only God's not hiding, we're hiding. God constantly seeks. He constantly seeks. God does not hide himself from anyone ever. God is seeking every person to know who he is and to be reconciled back to him. Jesus said, for the Son of Man did not come, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You need to know that every person that is open to understanding who God is will find him. I love the book of Romans. It's very deep, very theological book. I love the book of Romans. Romans 119. Since what may be known... About God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. What's He telling us? He's telling us that if people will just open their eyes, they will see that there is a creator and i have lost track of how many really really smart people authors scientists politicians all kinds of people who have come to christ because of the design they saw in creation and they couldn't deny it anymore and they come to christ and they say man there's just no when you see how everything has been created there's there's no other explanation if you're struggling with that, let me just give you one assignment. Go Google this week how the eye works. Just go Google that and study this week how your eye sees things and how it communicates to your brain. And if you can't see the magnificence of a glorious, intelligent design of God in your own eye, I don't know how to help you. I mean, it's, it's just like overwhelming just to think about that, not to mention our nervous system, the way our fingers are connected to our brain, and how we can, hear a thing the other day where they're talking about baseball players trying to hit a, a fastball. And they've got 150 milliseconds, I think is what, I, what it came to. 150 milliseconds to decide, am I swinging or not? Think about how fast that is. And if you don't make a decision, boom, it's by you it's just it's it's fascinating I love this quote by Robert Jastrow I read this when I was in Bible college So this has been around for quite a while Robert Jastrow wrote a book called God and the astronomers and in it he said this for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason the story ends like a bad dream he has scaled the mountains of ignorance he is about to conquer the highest peak As he pulls himself up over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. I love that. Even inside of us, we have something called a conscience, which tells you something's wrong. Real quick, you know the difference between your conscience and the Holy Spirit? I'm going to tell you this real quick, just so you'll know. Your conscience can tell you that's wrong, that's bad. you, You shouldn't have done that, that's bad. But That's all your conscience can do. The Holy Spirit says that's bad that's wrong you shouldn't have done that Jesus died for it you can be forgiven or you are forgiven that's the difference between your conscience and the Holy Spirit forget God's standard you don't even live up to your own standard your conscience tells you that if you've ever apologized to somebody what you're saying is I did not even live up to my own standard of behavior. I let you down and I let myself down because I expected a a higher standard of behavior out of me. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Your conscience tells you that something's wrong and you need a solution. Any person that opens their eyes will find God. Go look it up. Muslims, Muslims are coming to Christ in record number they, they're almost at a loss to explain it in some cases because there's no missionary, there's no Bible. You know one of the ways God is using, using to, to win Muslims to Christ? Dreams and visions. Dreams and visions. There's one group of 600 Muslims who converted to Christianity. 25% of them, when they started this, to investigate it, came to Christ through dreams and visions. God is always seeking. Acts chapter 10. There's a man named Cornelius. He's a Roman centurion. He wants God to reveal himself. He's wanting to get closer to God. Meanwhile, God is working on a guy named Peter. Peter doesn't hang out with guys like Cornelius for for a religious reason. But God says, no, I want you to get over that religious thing. I want you to go, there's a guy I want you to go talk to. His name's Cornelius. So Peter, Peter goes to Cornelius's house and Cornelius and his entire family hear about Jesus, and they are converted. Now let me tell you, a, a really, a, a true, miraculous story about a missionary named Bobby and a man named Ibrahim. Ibrahim is a Muslim. Uh, Bobby was a missionary, had spent his whole life in mission work with Muslims. He, he was uh, over in a Muslim country. He goes to this little island. The whole island is 100% Muslim. There are no Bibles. There are no missionaries on the on the entire island. And he encounters this man named Abraham. And Abraham doesn't speak English, and Bobby didn't didn't really speak uh, Abraham's language either. And so they're trying to communicate with one another. But Abraham wants to welcome Bobby and his family. He's got his kids with him. So he climbs this tree, this coconut tree, and he's going to harvest these coconuts for Bobby's kids and he cuts them down and he he gives them to the kids and the kids are enjoying coconuts and and they're trying to communicate well through that broken communication Bobby picks up that one of Abraham's kids is sick and he doesn't know how to talk to him so he's just sign language whatever he can he's got a cross around his neck and he points to the cross and he makes the you know like prayers thing like I'm I'm gonna pray for your your child Well, time comes, Bobby leaves the island, Abraham and Bobby don't see each other anymore. They've lost contact. Four years later, Bobby is out somewhere, Abraham comes walking up to him, he's speaking English. He says, do you remember me? And Bobby didn't remember him. He said, it's me, it's Abraham, I got the coconuts for you. And Bobby's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And Abraham could now speak English, and they began to talk, and he starts to tell Bobby about a dream that he's been having over and over again. And he wakes up in the middle of the night, and he's sad, and he's broken because this dream, he knows it means something significant. And he said, he said Bobby, I want to tell you about this dream. He said, in this dream, I see this big, beautiful garden. It's wonderful. It's this amazing garden and you and your family are in this garden you're enjoying everything about the garden and I want my family to join you in the garden and we can't get into the garden and he says I wake up and I'm broken and I'm sad because I keep having this dream and then he looked at Bobby and he said Bobby can you tell me what my dream means now I'll just tell you they don't teach you dream interpretation at Bible college at least not mine I've had people make appointments with me, tell me their dreams, like, Brett, what does this mean? And I'm like, I don't know. He said, Bobby, what does my dream mean? And Bobby said, Abraham, I don't know. What do you think it means? He said, well, I think what it means. He said, I think the garden is heaven. And I think you know the way to get there. And I want to go there. And I think you know how to tell me. And I want you to tell me. And Bobby sat down with Abraham and told him what I just told you today. And Abraham and his family came to Christ. And you'll sit with them in heaven. You'll spend an eternity with them. Because God is so good that he knows how to reach out and to get to people who don't know who he is. I'll close with this I um, my freshman year at Bible College we had chapel every day and we always you know we went into the we had this beautiful chapel singing acoustics were great we would meet in this chapel every every time we had chapel but on this particular day we were told to go to another building they were splitting the girls from the guys and I was like well you know isn't it aren't we a little old for the talk I mean what were they doing so but they did they split the guys out and we had this this old time like like you know old-timey gospel man you know Bible man and he got up and he preached at us I mean pinned his ears back and came after us like we were going to hell and at the end of it I will never ever forget what he said I the minute he said it I knew I would never forget this. I've never forgotten this. He looked at us at the end, and he's shouting at us, and he said, today you have heard the word, and you can either accept it or reject it, but you can never again be one not called. I was like, goodness gracious, that's awesome. And he was right. He was right. See, there's three kinds of people here today. Some of you are here, your faith is hitting on all cylinders, things are going great. I salute you, I'm so glad, I'm happy. Some of you are here and you're stuck in your faith and you're trying to figure out what's next. How do I, you know, what do I do? How do I, what's the next step for me? How do I, what do I take the next step? Hopefully today's been insightful for you. And then the third group is that there's people here that have never given their life to Christ. And I don't know what I've got to do. Beg you? I've taken my best shot today to give you a gospel message that kind of lays out God is crazy about you and has gone to great lengths to remove every obstacle so that you would eventually embrace him and embrace faith and have the hope of an eternity. And i talked about the way that you get there. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The goal of hide-and-seek is never to stay hidden. That's no fun. You ever played hide-and-seek and and nobody found you? That's no fun. At some point, you start making noises, hoping that people will find you, right? Passing gas or something like, would somebody please find me? You ever had them just completely forget about you and go play with their buddies and do something else, or is that just me? Did they just do that to me? God is seeking you. And if He doesn't find you, it's because you didn't want to get found. You've heard the word, you can accept it or reject it. But you can never again be one not called. When we sing in just a moment, there will be people down front to pray with you. If you want to give your life to Christ, you can do that. If you want to just hear more, you can talk to them, tell them we'll figure out a way to get together. Just know that we love you. We want to pray with you if you need that. Hope you've had a good morning. Let's pray together. Father, you have removed every obstacle, every excuse. There is no excuse. You sent your own son to remove the chasm that was between you and us, because of our sin. It is completely wiped away through the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus. And that drives me to my knees in gratitude. And I can only pray that someone who feels far away from you would finally have the realization that God loves me so much that his own son would die a horrible, gruesome death as a sacrifice for my sin. And I can be drawn to God and have an eternity with him. I pray, Father, that you would move in a powerful way on the one who needs it. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.